Hello there, everybody. Welcome to the live stream this week, where we're going to be discussing this book here, Why I Still Believe. Uh, former atheist, reckoning with a bad reputation, Christians give a good God with Mary Jo Sharp. And so she's coming on and uh, excited to be talking with her on her story and her journey from atheism to Christianity, what kind of started off that process, what that journey was like being in the church, and then uh, now being in Christian apologetics, a professor, assistant professor of Christian apologetics at Houston Baptist University, and then also founder and director of Confident Christianity. So Mary Jo, thank you so much for coming on the show this week. Hey, Ryan. It's so good to be with you. Yeah, I'm excited when I got this book. We've connected a few times at different conferences at the Unbelievable Live Conference in LA you spoke at and a few other places. And so it's good to finally get you on and be able to uh, show the work that you have done, which I think is very unique uh, and is very good in the way that you've written this apologetics book, really tying in your story. Um, so maybe if we can just kind of start off really quick, this book that came out, Why I Still Believe, um, kind of what led you to write this in the beginning and what kind of audience are you targeting? Oh, yeah. So what led me was that somebody asked me to write it. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So uh, this wasn't something that I just one day went, wow, I'd really like to share my story with everybody. Um, it was actually somebody that had approached me, an editor, and said, you know, that he was looking really for a narrative approach to apologetics and specifically from um, a woman. Yeah. Uh, so that was something that it intrigued me. And I thought about it. And at first I said, no, that's really personal. I don't want to do that. <laughs> and uh, then I got convinced that this would be profitable for people. And especially uh, you said, who was who I targeting? And when I was thinking about who I was writing to, it was specifically um, targeting millennials. Mm -hmm who may or may not be interested in apologetics or understand, you know, what the reason for apologetics was or, you know, why this would have any impact on their life. And uh, so that I was really sort of targeting them as well as people who have doubts about faith in the church, um, thinkers in the church who don't feel welcome, um, and then people who are seekers who are wanting to understand their world um, and why it is the, you know, why do we find meaning, purpose, value in the world? So yeah. it was, it's a lot of people, but sort of a narrow, more narrow focus down towards like a millennial generation. Yeah, awesome. And, you know, and it's written well. And again, I, I think I, I love the narrative approach. There are very few narrative approach kind of apologetics books that follow a story. And I think that's awesome because it really just draws you in uh, to the story. But then again, you're getting good content along the way. Uh, but, you know, the subtitle of the book, you you also write, you know, this is when sometimes Christians give a good God a bad reputation. And we'll get, and I get into this in the story as well. And so you are, you, you're also kind of targeting you know, I, I hear the objection a lot that, um, you know, I would be a Christian, but Christians are hypocritical, they're judgmental, they're, they're whatever. And so you're kind of addressing those Christians as well that don't really live differently than the world does. Yeah. So I'm addressing that on two sides. The, the uh, people who say, you know, that aren't living, you know, the way that they profess um, to be true. So those, those Christians who are saying, well, you know, I believe in God and he's the moral standard and all this sort of stuff, but then they're not even uh, trying to become Christ-like or they give themselves all sorts of excuses for not becoming Christ-like. Uh, that's one side of the equation. I'm also addressing the person that might be thinking about leaving the church or never going to church because of hypocrisy, which is a, a growing objection to church attendance and to belief in God. Yeah. So your story starts off and uh, you're just discussing this uh, the atheist reckoning with the Christian God. Uh, so Kind of tell us a little bit about the story of where you grew up. You, it sounds like you're not always part of a Christian family. When did you become an atheist? When did you kind of choose that label for yourself? How did that work out? Ah, that's a good question. So, yeah, yeah I, I grew up in a part of the country in the Pacific Northwest, specifically Portland, Oregon, where it wasn't very uh, culturally Christian. 
and it hasn't been for some time. And so uh, my environment in which I grew up was not, you know, overwhelmingly Christian like the South, the Southern United States tends to be. So uh, that's that's sort of my culture. But I also grew up, I grew up outside of church. My parents um, had stopped going to church when I was too young to remember. And so I wasn't raised with a Christian background. Um, what I was raised with was a family that taught me a profound appreciation of the beauty of nature. Mm. Uh, my father was also a huge science fan. He was a chemical engineer who loved cosmology and biology. He's a huge fan of Carl Sagan, actually, okay. which is fun because we got to watch a lot of Sagan. And um, so he, he developed in me a, a very a, a wonder at the universe in which I lived and a pursuit of truth, you know, mm. a love of knowledge and, and growing in what I know. But my family also was a lover of the arts. And so I was exposed to a lot of this profound beauty that humans could create through the arts. And what that did for me is that it, it developed in me uh, a longing for understanding what this was all for. I, I didn't really well frame it as a teenager, but I, I would be in the midst of, I was in high school band and I actually taught band in the public schools. I think you're, you're a teacher as well. Yes. Yeah. I'm a teacher. Just got done with my students and you know, we're going through some crazy <laughs> stuff right now with the coronavirus and a bunch of schools shutting down, but yes, nine years teaching so far. Yeah. All right. Well, I made it eight in the public school. Okay. There you go. <laughs> I was teaching band. So basically I had this profound love of uh, music and I remember sitting in one, uh, I had a great high school band and I was sitting in this one performance and I was, it was just an overwhelmingly beautiful piece we were playing. We were good. And I, I thought to myself, what is this all for? Like, I didn't understand why we were trying to create these great works of art and what was the meaning behind this? What was this pointing us to? And I didn't have answers for those kind of things. And at that time in my life, there was um, a man who was my high school band director and he was really burdened for me. He, he was a Christian who was burdened for me. And so he actually, my senior year of high school, he decided to go ahead and take a risk and share his faith with me. And he gave me an NIV one-year Bible. And so when you go off to college, you're going to have hard questions. I hope you'll turn to this. Yeah. So I, I did go off to college and started looking into this whole faith thing and what churches had to offer. Like for the first time on my own, I was attending church. It's weird because it's like the opposite story of what we hear so frequently. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so um, I eventually found a church where I uh, heard a clear explanation of the gospel, and I understood my need for salvation, and I accepted Jesus at that point. Um, now, you talk about when did I affirm atheism? I actually didn't know I was atheist. I didn't know I was atheist until I started studying apologetics, and for the first time understood that there were theists, and there were atheists, and those sorts of things. And then looking back on my uh, childhood, I was like, yeah, I had no belief in God. Hmm. Um, I was raised atheist with... Um, no interest in pursuing that and no understanding what it was for. And I was actually a bit skeptical of organized religion. Okay. So, you know, a little bit maybe different than, you know, I, I can't, I'm completely blanking on the name right now, but someone I had on, I think, you know, sharing the story of being the, the high school atheist and challenging all the Christians in their high school. So, so that wasn't you. Um, now, no. I, I might've missed it, but what, about what age did you say that um, this kind of transition happened? It was your high school band teacher was after high school in college. Oh, yeah. No, it was my senior year that he uh, witnessed to me. And then it was when I was 20 okay. after having attended church for uh, a couple of years and after doing some searching that I that I became a Christian. Okay. Yeah. So what was it that, I mean, initially led you in and drew you into Christianity? You said he gave you the Bible. Was there a certain event in your life? Was there an apologetic argument? 
No, it was more of the understanding that all of all of the things that I was searching for, this explanation of like, why is there so much beauty in the okay. world? Why do I believe in things like good and evil? And that so good and evil in the moral sense of there's right and wrong and there's uh, justice and injustice. And when I started reading the Bible, it actually started to make sense of all these things, um, that there was a God who created yeah. the universe and he himself was good, made sense of these things to me. And so when I was asked, uh, you know, if I was ready to accept Jesus, I was like, yeah, like uh, it wasn't a huge emotional thing. It was like, yeah, yeah this is what I need to do. Yeah. And so that was, that was that moment of coming to Christ. Okay, really? Yeah. So really much more kind of the existential, you know, questioning of the purpose of life and those sort of things. So now yeah. when you came into church in this book, you talk about this culture shock and what happened to you the first Sunday at church. Now, is this when you first started going? Is this after accepting Jesus and this happened? Kind of what, what was this first experience of church that, and, and kind of the culture shock that you went through? Yeah, this is a fun one. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, I, so it was my first day of church as a new believer. So I had just accepted Jesus. And, uh, so that very week and I was going to church for the first time and here I'm coming from the Pacific Northwest and I'm this poor college student. I have like two dresses. I chose the better one of the two (laughs) and, um, I'm going to church for the first time and I'm expecting, you know, sort of like this hey, welcome to Jesus moment. And uh, I'm nervous because for a couple of reasons, because I'm worried about what people will think of me back home. Like, you know, what will they think of me going off to school and, and becoming a Christian? And, and then I'm worried about this church culture I'm entering in which I have no experience. So I'm really like the new kid in class when it comes to this. So I don't know the culture that I'm entering into. And so I, first day of church, I'm walking up to the sanctuary and uh, the pastor's wife is standing there greeting people. And as I approach the sanctuary, she she's smiling at everybody and she looks at me and her smile drops as she gives me a once over. And she says, oh, honey, we need to find you better clothes. Wow. So that was my first like, hey, welcome to the church moment as I'm going into the church to profess uh, my salvation in Jesus Christ and then stand up there in front of everybody and have them come greet me. So it it was not what I expected. And it was very disappointing. Yeah. And was this the church that you had been attended in previous weeks? And this is just your first Sunday as a Christian or did you become a Christian and then now this is a new church you're going to? I had gone to this church on um, my, uh, I was at this time, there's so much to pack in here. Yeah. But I, I had, I was a newly married person as well. And so my husband had taken me to this church on an invite from his former girlfriend. Uh, so this was us going into the church after having attended for uh, probably a few weeks. Okay. Two or three. Yeah. Okay. And then you also share in the book, the culture shock moment of switching churches and being the first Sunday in another church kind of now with not just, are you showing up? Uh, in a way that Christians should expect you to come to church, but now actually being in a position of ministry, your husband, worship pastor, and uh, and a member being upset about music that's played, right? And we always hear people want to complain about the music, the carpet, the chairs, the, what color are the walls, <laughs> uh, but this kind of actually happened. Can you share that one, uh, that story here really quick as well? Yeah, so that's, uh, we, we actually got into ministry in the first church that we were in, and then this um, the first church, we couldn't stay there uh, because um, we actually financially couldn't stay there. Um, so we ended up having to move on to another church, uh, to support our family. And we get to this other church and it's a new experience. It's uh, now we're doing youth and music and my husband's never done worship ministry before. So he's not trained at a seminary in worship yeah. ministry. We both have undergrads in music. So we're, we're there. And one of the very first Sundays that we were there, people were still coming up and greeting us 
uh, hey, welcome, you know, we're so glad to have you, all that sort of stuff. And this one lady comes marching up the aisle <laughs> after church one Sunday, and we're having a conversation with the pianist. And she stops and looks at us and says, I don't know what God you're worshiping up there. Um, so I think from, you know, that you can kind of interpret that she's upset at the style of music. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She, you know, they were moving into a contemporary feel as one of the reasons they brought on this young, you know, music minister. And so she says that, and I immediately like flare up and say, well, it better be the same God as you or it's the devil. <laughs> <laughs> and my husband's like pushing me aside, like, all right, you know, like I, throw I'm ready to throw down with this yeah. person. I don't care about the church traditions. I wasn't raised in the church. I don't know who you are. Uh deacon's wife or not. That doesn't mean much to me. So <laughs> I was just like, whatever. And uh I was at that point I was really by that second church, I was starting to get sick of it. Mm-hmm. I was starting to get sick of these attitudes uh that to me had nothing, had no place in the body of Christ whatsoever, according to what I've been reading uh coming into Christianity, you know, what Jesus said about how we're supposed to greatly love one another. And uh, so this, to me, was just so antithetical to Christian ethics. Absolutely. You know, and you share something in this book that kind of goes along with it. And I think it's a challenge to Christians and those watching and listening is that uh, you mentioned in your book, and I just read it or something in one of my textbooks from my high school class, but that like 85% of people or so say that they know a Christian, but only it's something like 14% say they notice a difference in the friend that is a Christian compared to people who are not Christians. Yeah, I believe that's from the Kinnaman. Yeah, from the Kinnaman study. Yeah, and uh, isn't that amazing? Is that here we are going around telling people that we profess profess this God that is the moral standard by which we're supposed to live our lives, and yet uh, we won't even say we're sorry when we're wrong for Mm -hmm. something. And so this is the kind of stuff that people, I believe, people are saying, "Yeah, you guys are hypocrites." I mean, there's other stuff that I think is you know, stretching the hypocrisy thing, but, uh, th- things like that, where we're not, we're not living authentically. Yeah. We're not telling people we fail and here's what our failures are. And we're still working on that. Yeah. And, and this is even, I mean, an, even more so part of your story, right? Because you become a Christian, you desire this deep knowledge and intimate community, uh, within, within the church. And you didn't seem to find that. And you kind of had to go somewhere else to find that. Is that right? Yeah, well, <laughs> go somewhere else. That's great. I went to, <laughs> maybe not somewhere else, the church, but maybe it wasn't in the churches where you were. Yeah, it was. Uh, so, yeah, I wanted that deep. Um, I wanted to find people who actually believed in the good, the true, and the beautiful, and were you know forming their lives around that that search for God. And I think that actually was a bit idealistic of me. Mm. I am kind of an idealist <laughs> and it was naive as well, but it was very, it was heartbreaking when I got into the church and I f- discovered that the church is full of regular human beings. You know, <laughs> um, I should have prepared myself for that. And I kind of wish the church had, I actually mentioned in my book that church attendance should come with a disclaimer, you know, like Church attendance may cause extreme discomfort. Side effects <laughs> of interactions with humans include, but are not limited to, and then just list all these things, right? Because what I found in the church were people. Hmm. And it, it was hard for me to understand that because I had no training in this sort of sinner saint tension that goes on um, in the church. But at the same time, I also saw a lot of people that were wallowing around in their vices um, that would use excuses for their self righteousness. In fact, some of the people that I encountered at the church, like some of the worst people I encountered were the people who could quote the scriptures the best. Yeah. <laughs> and that was just horrifying to me, like horrifying. And so it caused me to distrust the church. Uh, first of all, to distrust the people in the church. And then later on, that causes me to wonder, do any of these people believe it's real? Mm. 
which then starts to affect me and saying like, why do I think it's real? Um, and there's more to it than that. I mean, I started to question myself, like, do, do I believe this is real? But I think there was another thing going on there too, which was that I didn't like the church. Hmm. So I think there was a desire problem in me. There was a war of desires. Like part of me wished I could find it false so I can just walk away and, you know, be liberated from this group of hypocrites and just go back to what I would have said or thought was my former simpler life of atheism. Again, pretty naive of me. But then the other desire I think was like, hey, I kind of hope that this isn't untrue because then I'm you know, given my life to this and my husband's a minister. And so I have these warring desires going on as well. Yeah. So, I mean, what, what would you say to maybe the pastor, the church member who is kind of struggling this with this as well, someone who is in that similar position as you, let's maybe start with a member of, and I've been going to church, whether I'm a new Christian or I've been going a while and I'm just, I'm tired of this. Like it's a very surface level, um, hypocritical, what it seems like people are not genuinely living this out. What would you say is an encouragement to those people? Well, first of all, I'm going to empathize and say, you know, like what you're experiencing is real. It's not just you um, being hypercritical. This this happens in the church. And and from my own experience and talking to people after I wrote the book, uh, so many people are saying, yeah, I get it. I've I've had these exact experiences or my version of them. So I would say I would empathize with them. Then the, the thing that I would move to is, um, you know, the, the problem is that the litmus test for the truth of Christianity cannot be the hypocrisy of the believers or even the behaviors of the believers at all. Yeah. Um, that, that would be true of any worldview. So we can't judge the worldview's propositional truth by the behaviors of its adherents. Yeah. And I, I think that's the tough one to move to because experience always plays such a big part in our views of the world. We'd like to think we can remove ourselves from our emotions and our desires and all that to just sit there and be completely intellectually objective, but I don't actually believe we can do that. And so it makes it really hard when we're struggling um, with what we believe and why we believe it. And we've been hurt in the church. Yeah. So what did you then do in that moment? Uh, did you just go find another church that did kind of offer what you were looking for? Or did you guys start to affect change within the church that you were? Yeah, so that's been a long process, Ryan. <laughs> um, so we've been in ministry. This is, I think we're we're currently in our sixth church, and so we've been a part of churches for long stints. Like our, I think our longest one was ten and a half years, okay. and then some shorter stints, like two years. But we always do try to affect change. Um, I don't know that at that moment that I understood how to affect change. Yeah. I did. I did do what I thought I could do, which was I started teaching apologetics in my own church according to like I would survey church members, like what are your questions that have to like on things that I can t talk about and on things I have some knowledge in. So I did start to teach apologetics in my own church that as part of affecting change. But I think as I've been getting older. Uh, the other thing that I've had to sort of hang on to is Jesus's teaching in the Sermon on the Mount of Luke 6, where he says that you're to love your enemies and that you're to do good to those who are persecuting you. And if you keep reading it, he's like, um, you have to do good to those who are not doing good to you. Mm. Because if you only do good to those who do good to you, what good is that? Even the sinners do that. Yeah. So here he is talking to a group of people, many of whom are his followers, right? And he's telling us to love one another and to do unto others as we want to do them to do for us. So I've sort of adopted that as our, like my husband and I have adopted that as our view in ministry, that even if somebody is um, 
you know, isolating of us or marginalizing of us or doesn't do good to us. We do not return that in kind. Yeah. So you, you mentioned, you know, so you start in your church and you start teaching apologetics, asking people their big questions. Uh, when did you discover this world of apologetics? You're a music teacher. Uh, that's what your degree was in. Uh, how did you discover what apologetics was and wind up at Biola University? Ah, that was through, uh, first of all, through asking myself questions like, how do I know God's real? Yeah. And <laughs> I didn't even know how to form an apologetics question or any of the issues. I was just like, why do I, what do I think about this? I don't even know why Jesus, I say Jesus rose from the dead. And how do I, you know, like, there's a bunch of texts out there. How do I know the Bible's the one? Yeah. And so I would ask myself those kind of questions. And then I went looking, uh, I, I snuck into the church library. <laughs> I didn't want anybody to find the pastor's wife looking in, you know, these like for these questions. So one of the pastor's wives. Um, so I started looking in the church library and I found a section in theology. Thank goodness for that librarian that like labeled every shelf. And this, I looked in theology and it didn't have the exact answers I was looking for. You know, there was a lot of good stuff in there about Christian theology, but it assumed Christianity was true. So I was like, that's not it. So right next to that was this little line called apologetics, which I didn't know what that was. I just started pulling books off the shelf. And lo and behold, I find Lee Strobel's book, The Case for Christ, which introduces me for the first time to somebody who's not treating Christianity as baseline true, but saying that we, you know, we actually have to think about whether it's true or not. Yeah. And so that was what started me into this area of apologetics. And then one day I'm sitting at home. Uh, I've been getting Chris the Christian Research Journal as part of my like hey, I need to get some answers for these things. So I, I subscribed to that. And one day I found an advertisement for Biola. And I was like, wow, I'm reading all these guys. Like yeah. Jay Forler and Gary Habermas, I'm reading these people. So um, that was, it, it was surprising because I was actually looking for a master's in music education so I could go on and teach at the college level and then go on and take my own symphony orchestra because um, <laughs> I dream small. <laughs> That's good. And, it was a huge turnaround, huge, yeah. because I did not expect to do this. Um, my whole life was about music, and I had it planned out since I was a sophomore in high school. Yeah. So this was highly unexpected, and I told my husband, and when I told my husband, hey, I'm going to get a master's in apologetics, he said, what is apologetics? <laughs> there you go. That's a, I mean, that's the response from a lot of people, right? Uh, yes. Now, uh, you are at Houston Baptist University. Isn't Lee Strobel at Houston Baptist as well? He was, okay. he was, uh, but he's no longer with us. Okay. Um, yeah. So, so, you know, going from, you know, that book is being kind of the introduction into that world and then kind of being a colleague maybe for some time, uh, there at Houston yeah. Baptist. That's pretty cool. Yeah. He taught, he taught in evangelism and it was actually, it was really fun while he was able to be with us. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, he taught evangelism courses. And so it was kind of surreal having him there. Uh, he knew I'd, I'd talked to Lee, he's a friend and he knew uh, about my story about yeah. how his case price was really a instigator and in pushing me on. Yeah, that's really, that's awesome. Now, so you, you, you do your degree at Biola University, you start getting into the world of apologetics. Now you're at Houston Baptist where you speak on the rationality, the reasons, the arguments for God's existence and the problem of evil and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but you also have talked about you having your own doubts. Um, how is apologetics and the more rational faith helped you in dealing with the doubts that you have? Oh, wow. Yeah, in so many ways, um, because it's helped me to, well, for, oh gosh, where do we begin? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it has helped me to straight up answer questions that I have about Christianity. So it's answered, um, you know, for me, it's helped me to become more mature in my thinking about Christianity. So why is there evil in the world if we say God is good? It's helped me to look through that and, and to find out and discover that Christians have been writing on this for like 2,000 years, yeah. which I think is 
a lot of people don't know that because we don't study church history and we don't delve into these issues very deeply in the church. So that was uh, that was important to discover. But also, so it helped answer those questions. It helped give me sort of a view that, oh, wow, these are the kinds of questions that have been answered for like 2000 years. People have been discussing them and talking about them, trying to find answers. Uh, so there's a lot of rich material there, but also it thrust me into knowing what I believed. So it, it, whenever you study apologetics, it's going to push you back into theology as well. Uh, and so it's sort of like the, the, you know, the theology and philosophy in between. It, it grabs from both and puts them together and really use, utilizes them together. So it, it helped me to understand my Christian worldview. But I, the, like another thing that happened was that it really helped me to understand people who were doubting um, and were her coming from a different perspective or who had these questions because I went through my own search. I wasn't intimidated when people said, Hey, I'm having doubts about my faith or, Hey, I'm atheist. I, mean, I can say, yeah, I remember being atheist. Um, I remember not believing in God and what that was like and thinking Christianity was really weird and Christians were, I didn't know. I thought it was kind of nice for them, but yeah. they were kind of those weird people <laughs> that exist on the fringe of society. So, um, I think it helps me to empathize more and to not be intimidated by people who have questions or who come from different backgrounds. Yeah. Now you also kind of talk about in this book of just the the friendships that also that you have built kind of within the church and while you're at Biola, uh, getting to know Nabil Qureshi and David Wood, which they have just such an incredible story. Nabil's book, uh, Seeking All of Finding Jesus, was one that was just radically transforming for me. It was one that I read very early on in my apologetics journey. Uh, and, and learning about not only Islam, but just incre his incredible story, uh, and then getting to meet David Wood not too long ago. But um, kind of maybe who are they for uh, those that don't know? And then um, kind of how was that friendship that you built at Biola impactful in your Christian walk? Yeah, so Nabil was uh, a former Muslim who um, he actually met David Wood in college. And David is a sociopath. And that's not a slam on David. That's what he is. <laughs> so um, they met in college, it sort of ended up together because nobody else wanted to room with either of them. And <laughs> I, I, having started out in ministry with both of them, I always find that hilarious. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, and I'll say it a little true. Um, <laughs> but so they, they come together in college um, with the debate team. And so Nabil is this like staunch Muslim who uh, has never really met a, a Christian like David who sits there and really studies and reads his Bible. And so Nabil asks him if he's like a hardcore Christian, all this. Anyway, they get into debate over Christianity and Islam, like what is true. And and eventually um, David leads Nabil to the Lord. So that's that's who they are. Yeah. Now, how I met them was that when after Nabil became a believer, David's like, you need an education. You need to know what Christians believe. And, you know, so um, he encouraged Nabil to apply to the Biola program. So Nabil gets into the Biola program a, a semester after me, but he's in like on my track. And uh, that summer, we all go out to um, La Mirada, where the campus is located yep. for our two weeks on campus. And we're all I end up in classes with Nabil. We end up hanging out. And I made the mistake of saying like, wow, I really like that you guys do debates. Could I review one of your debates for you guys? And I meant like for you guys, like I'll hand it to you two and that would be awesome. Yeah. And you could just talk to me about it and that would be it. Um, no, they decided to post it to their blog. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that it started out like there's where it started. Uh, and then they just slowly sucked me into their world of ministry and debate. And, um, then didn't just bring me in to help, 
eventually pushed me out into the spotlight and said, hey, you need to be doing debate. You need to be doing more um, because you've been gifted in speaking and arguing and all that sort of stuff. So they were the two that really pushed me out into doing uh, more of a public Christianity into more of public speaking. Yeah. And really, I mean, also, you know, just an encouragement to your faith as well, right? Of really surrounding oh, yeah. yourselves with with deep thinking Christianity. And I think you you said something about um, in the book about just when you showed up at Biola and just saw Christians actually taking seriously the Word of God in discussing and trying to understand Him more. This this was a shock to you. Yeah, I actually called my husband on the phone and I said, I said, oh my gosh, I found the church. They're hiding out in the <laughs> university in La Mirada. <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, that's a bit much. <laughs> I know, but that's how it felt. Like I. These people who are going through this program, they weren't going to get any like, you know, like a job benefit from doing this. This was they were just spending their own money to deeply learn about what they believed and why they believed it. And that to me was the first time I'd ever encountered that, uh, that people would spend so much of their resources just to know God. And that was really impact. It it impacted me greatly because that was the first time I really did see that. Yeah. And and I I mean, at this point, kind of how long have you been in the church? Um, I'm just kind of curious, just kind of, you know, trying to create a picture. And I know this is not true of all churches and all people and all experiences, but, but to, to, to hear kind of the story of of becoming a Christian and what you experienced in the local church at the beginning to now for the first time seeing thoughtful, deep uh, Christianity that people are really taking it seriously at a level that maybe you haven't seen before. Kind of what is this, this timeline of, of kind of being in the Christian world, I guess. Yeah, that's it's about at a ten years, okay. right at a decade. Yeah, and that's that's about when I was getting to the point where I was really done yeah. <laughs> with Christians. Um, and uh, yeah, and then I meet this group at Biola who are just amazing, and I see David and Nabil, and they're willing to lay down their lives to. You know, Nabil lost a lot of respect with his family, yeah. and he went through a real hard time with his family yeah. when he rejected Islam. Uh, it was very heartbreaking to see that. So uh, I was like, wow, these guys really believe it and they will sacrifice everything for what they believe. And that, that was really impacting to me. And I think that's huge. I mean, I just talked with my students today about how some people have doubts and don't want to turn to Christianity because of conflicting commitments and that they have a lifestyle, a family, family uh, harmony or reputation that they're unwilling to give up. And I think Nabil's story is one of many that showed the, the pursuit where I think he said something like it took him about seven years from first talking with David Wood to being a Christian. And I thought he, I remember him saying something like the last two or he was convinced of Christianity, but it took him two years to finally come out as a Christian, knowing the impact it would have with his parents, his family, and just the culture he grew up in and giving up everything, but realizing Christ is worth it. And yeah, I mean, that's a huge, definitely. huge, huge step. Um, now I lost my train of thought when that, thought popped into my mind on what you said, but, um, <laughs> I had another question that had to do with that. Um, but so in, in all of this then, um, do you love the church? Ah, yeah, that's a good question, isn't it? Um, because I've struggled with her for so long. Um, and I've sort of, I've sort of come to this tension between seeing the, the beauty that's in every individual human being right up against the destruction of raging evil yeah. in every person. And I think coming to more of an understanding of that, that we're all that way, including myself, um, has made me see, uh, say, yes, I love the church. She's family. Uh, you don't always like family, <laughs> but we, you know, I, I still love her. But I think for me, 
I have to take a more realistic perspective on my engagement with her and um, not go in so naive and go in with more of an understanding that people are going to continue to fail. Um, that's the, I mean, the problem of evil right there. I, you know, people have their, their autonomy, they have freedom. And so they are not going to do what's right, yeah. uh, always. And in any given situation and today they may do something beautiful and, you know, in humility and wonderful. And tomorrow they might do something horrifyingly evil or just, you know, selfish. Yeah. That's what it is to be human in the fallen world. And, and so my understanding of that and my, I don't understand it fully. My growing understanding of that is helping me see that I, um, I can still love the church, um, because I'm, I'm stuck in the same situation. Yeah. And for me, um, I think the problem I, that that's on the side of loving the church, acknowledging who she is, where she's at and being realistic about what she's going to be will help me do what I call Gandalfing the situation. <laughs> like I know they're all going to fail me. I'm still going <laughs> to try to do what's right. Because as Sam White Gamgee said, there's some good in this world, Mr. Frodo, and it's still worth fighting for. Right. Yeah. So I'm going to do that. Uh, that's really hard to do. Um, but you know, I also, I also, I need to mention that part of the reason that I, I stay with the church and I love her and I love Christianity or not love Christianity, but I, that I believe Christianity is true is because I looked at what the atheistic worldview had to offer. Mm-hmm. And I found that it wasn't philosophically robust enough to explain my human experience. So a lot of these problems I have with the church in atheism, that's just the way things are. And there's no explanation for it. And at the base of the universe, like Dawkins likes to say, and it's a variation of Bertrand Russell is that there's no good or evil. There's no meaning, value or purpose. You know, it's just some people get hurt and other people get lucky and this, there's no rhyme or reason to it. I didn't believe that. (laughs) Like I couldn't go to that. And I, I hear with a lot of these deconstruction stories where they do sort of slam the church for this and slam the church for that and point at the church. They don't tell us, but I'm walking into atheism because of this and because of that. So they're telling us what they're leaving, but not really sharing with us what they're going to and why they're going into it. And I think that's part of the, you know, the whole under the umbrella of do I love the church? Well, do why also am I staying with her? Because I can't walk into atheism. Mm. Um, My atheism has or my atheism for my youth is no longer viable. And even because of my understanding of atheism, as I've grown more mature in that understanding, I I can't just go to that now. Mm. There's a roadblock there because it's because of it not offering me. Um, a robust experience or a robust enough explanation of the human experience. Yeah. Um, and we didn't get into all those details. They are in the book. Like yeah. the, the problem of grounding my reasoning, my rationality, the problem of grounding concepts like good and evil, things like that. So there are reasons that I can't step away from Christianity. But then on top of that, um, now that I'm with her, I have to deepen in my maturity of my love of her. Yeah. And that, that means growing up in love. It's not a fairy tale. It's standing with her in her vices, uh, not condoning them, but saying, yeah, this is what's going to happen and being there to be um, light in the world. That's so good. And yeah, they, they do need to get this book um, and, and learn uh, the, more of the, maybe the, the reasons and the, and the evidence and things that you point to and how to ground uh, kind of those existential questions that started with. Now, I am noticing, though, that the, the red shoes here at the top of the book are matching those red shoes right behind you. <laughs> <laughs> I can't point to them. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, everything's yeah, backwards. Like, <laughs> How does it work? <laughs> Those cool. over there. Yeah. That's for a gift from my husband when the book came out. He actually, they're like 
sparkly. And when I opened him up, I went, wait a minute, am I supposed to wear these? Because I don't wear like sparkly stuff. And he's like, no, they're a celebration yeah. of the book. So you're right. There they are. How, how long and hard did he have to go and search to find the exact same shoes, the black around the top? And I think it was a long time. Yeah. I, think he got them, I think he got them on Etsy. Wow. Wow. Um, <laughs> awesome. Well, I, we're going to run here soon, but I, I, I realized I forgot to ask you a question at the beginning. I asked you a two-part question. We covered one part, and it just really goes along with what you just said about the beauty of the church and, and being part of it. Is I, I mentioned um, what it, what um, – um, I'm forgetting the other part, but you know, coming in, right? What do we say to someone coming into the church uh, who is seeing maybe the hypocrisy and things? But, but as church members, how, how would you encourage them? Um, I guess, yeah, I asked you how you encourage people coming into the church, or how would you encourage uh, people who are members of welcoming and loving and bringing in people who uh, maybe maybe softening the culture shock a little bit? Obviously, there's going to be things that are new and different and strange, you know, communion or things like that. But how do we go about softening the culture shock and really showing the beauty of Christ and love of Christ uh, to people who are are not quite sure what's going on? Yeah. I think part of that has to do with our own growth in the spiritual disciplines to where we actually trust God and we trust God with these people who are coming into the church instead of trying to control situations ourselves. I mean, I think so often we try to be, we're so worried about representing Jesus or representing the truth, right? That we forget to actually love the person right in front of us and then to trust God with that person to change their hearts and, you know, let them develop from the inside out. So I think one of the things that I know it sounds sort of stereotypical, but we really need to be well discipled and in, and in tune with God ourselves. We need to be practicing the spiritual disciplines of prayer and fasting so that we represent more of an authenticity in our own life, that this is something that we've committed to. Uh, so that when somebody does come up to us, that it is more natural for us to just welcome them into the yeah. church as they are, and then um, help them grow in their understanding of Christianity and walk alongside them as they grow and develop and change over time. Because I know I've changed over yeah. time, but it took a long time because uh, I have a certain set of beliefs I grew up with. And, you know, it took many, many years for me to weigh my views and how I do things and my culture and to decide what parts of my culture I wanted to, I thought were, you know, matched my Christian ethic and I want to participate in and what parts of my culture maybe I didn't like so much because they didn't match my Christian ethic and I couldn't no longer participate in that. Um, so that takes a long time. And I think we try to get people to fit the culture right away hmm. before we care about bringing them to know God very deeply and to know Jesus very deeply. So I would say as far as the church, uh, maybe help our members understand how this process works, that sanctification is a long time. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's not something that we're going to, you know, we can just change somebody overnight in a week or a couple of months. Um, but that it takes years and years of engaging with the Lord personally and growing very deeply in our knowledge for hearts to change. Yeah. Wow. Well, that is so good. I know that is an encouragement to me and a challenge to me as well and how we welcome people in and how we really just build in relationships and reflect Christ to our culture. So Mary Jo, thank you so much, uh, for discussing this and having this conversation. Hey, thank you for having me on. I appreciate Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Now I have your website, maryjosharp.com right there. Um, is there other places that people can go? Uh, I know there's a link to the book. There, at least there should be. If there's not, there will be soon. A link to get your book uh, below. But is there other places they can go to to kind of see what you're doing and, and read up more on what you're producing? 
Uh, well, yeah, definitely. I mean, you can always Google me online or whatever, but my resource page on my website would be good. But I also want to encourage people who are like, hey, I could really you know, go deep into apologetics to check out the uh, program at Houston Baptist University. Yeah. So by going to hbu.edu uh, slash MAA and see if this is something that you really feel burdened for that you want to investigate deeply because it's fully online. So you don't even have to leave the comfort of your own home, uh, which is perfect right now for the environment that we're in yeah. with the craziness <laughs> of coronavirus, right? Yeah. So, Definitely check us out, and uh, you know I'm one of the professors there, and we have great we have great faculty there, like Nancy Piercy and William Lane Craig and Jerry Walls, and all sorts of great people. Mike Lacona, yeah. So we'd love to have you join us there too. Absolutely. Well, I have Michael Lacona coming on uh, the show, I think, in May, and then um, uh, yeah, some other interviews coming up from professors there at HBU as well. So awesome. Well, thank you so much. Thanks for having me on. All right. And I hope that you guys all enjoyed that. Here is uh, the book up right up here. Uh, go check it out. It's incredible stories. We just heard a lot of and reasons for these things. And you can also go Coffeehouse Questions, the website, follow on Instagram and Twitter for updates, subscribe. And uh, don't, re don't forget, please remember, next week, the live stream is on Tuesday. I'll be interviewing Natasha Crane on her book, Talking With Your Kids About Jesus. So how to do apologetics and really have uh, conversations about Jesus and God and Christianity with your kids. So don't miss that next week on Tuesday instead of Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time. So thank you guys so much for tuning in and watching this week. Have a wonderful rest of your week and God bless.